Welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. This is your host, Doug Irwin. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Good to see you. Thank you. It's good to be here. In person, our first meeting in quite a while. I know. It's weird being face-to-face, right? I can't uh, just turn you off a of Zoom for a minute. So. <laughs> I know. I can't multitask while... <laughs> yeah, I can't check emails right now. It's terrible. I know. Well, good. We have to stay committed to our listeners, so that's right. good. Better be interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. So, Adam, you're the co-founder and CEO of Talage, which is a really cool startup company here in Reno, Nevada, focused on commercial insurance, but why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and more about Talage? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, been in Northern Nevada for a long time, actually grew up in the Bay Area, and then came up to uh, the University of Nevada to play football up here, and so been up here since 2001, and I know I'll never be a native, but I'm starting to feel like one, even though if the natives don't accept me uh, as such, but love my time up at the university and love being up here. I mean, that was a big part of the reason I came here was or came to the university was the town of Reno around it and, and just, you know, kind of fell in love with the mountains and fell in love with the community. And so met my wife up here and started having Reno kids. And so now we've got a Reno company and, you know, really excited about what we're doing at Talage. And, you know, I think we're undoubtedly probably the coolest insure tech company in Northern Nevada, right? I think we can make that claim definitively. So sure. Well, let's, let's, we're probably one of the coolest insurance tech companies on the West coast. Oh, for sure. Easy, easy, easy. Uh, I'd, I'd say everywhere, but you know. All right, good. We'll give you everywhere. But yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been a lot of fun and building a company in Reno is, you know, it's had its own challenges, right? But it's also, it's been a great opportunity for us. And I think the company that we're building, the way we're building it, the culture we're building around it has, has been, you know, Reno and Northern Nevada has been a big part of that. And we've expanded kind of the definition of Northern Nevada and Reno to include the lake and, you know, kind of creeping over the mountain a little bit. But it, I mean, that's what, also one of the things that's great about Reno is that it, it is close to the Bay Area. It's close to a lot of great, you know, areas and, and recreational and business, yeah. you know, kind of tools that are around us. So. I figured if you played football for the pack, they would give you an instant, like, Nevada card. Like, you don't get an instant credibility for uh No, you don't get an instant one. I don't know. The native Nevada thing, they don't they don't throw that around very easily. So. No, clearly not. I've been here for about 20-some-odd years, too. And, it, you know, I'm always getting snubbed by fifth-generation families or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Because even my kids, right, so now we have three kids that were born in Reno. But they don't give out that, that 530 social security number that everyone used to have in Nevada. Oh. Like, that was, like, a big thing. But now, like, I think they ran out of them. So my kids don't even have the 530 social security numbers anymore so i didn't even know that was a thing oh yeah it's like a big like the native nevadans like two or three generations back they all have a 530 social security number and so it's like a thing well it's good i mean we're opening up we're not nearly that insular anymore <laughs> but well, it is the fact that it took us what we've been a state for 150 years before we ran out of 530 numbers or whatever it was <laughs> that's true i think our best days are still in front of us so. i think so so tell me, tell me a little bit more about what Talage does. Yeah, I mean, so we're a software company that really is designed to aid and enable the distribution of commercial insurance. And right now we're focused on small commercials, so things like workers' comp, general liability, business owner policies, launching our first cyber integration this week, which we're really excited about, professional liability, things like that. Really that core package that a small business owner needs to you know, be successful, and we're doing it. What's special about the way we're doing it and what we're excited about is we do it through independent agencies. And so we kind of start at the carrier level and integrate with them. We integrate into their platforms, much like... I mean, APIs, right? And APIs are not new, but they're new in insurance. And so it works similar to, we were talking earlier, kind of like a kayak type of experience where we integrate into the different insurance companies like Kayak integrates to US Air and Delta and whoever. You can pull the quotes at the same time. You can have that online shopping experience kind of replicate what a business owner expects, what we get from everything else that we do our shopping through. But what we do is we actually do it through the independent agency. So it's all white labeled. They can get their own custom experience. Really, the goal of Talage is to sell insurance to every business in this country without you ever knowing that you bought it from Talage. And so we kind of blend into the background, enable the whole thing, and kind of power it for, for the agents. 
Wow. So, okay, if I'm a small business owner, I can go to Talich or do I go to my independent? So you go to your independent agency or, you, or I mean, we've got some bigger kind of partnerships as well, but you go to the independent agency that you work with, whatever national partnership we've got, you get a quote through them. And, and what's what's cool about our platform is that it uses, I mean, this insurance nerdy now, but like it uses like their appointment information, their credentials, their licensing. And so really it belong that business belongs to the agent all the way from top to bottom. And so you as a small business owner would likely never know that you did anything to do with Talad. You went to a website, it had your agent's logo, it had their colors, it had their licensing information. Their agent called you when you had a question, but we, you know, Talad essentially handled that transaction on the back end. Interesting. Okay, cool. So, you know, I work with Eric Olivas from Farmers, great guy. Shout out to Eric. If I'm Eric, what's the value to me as the insurance agent? Like, why, why would I want to do that? Yeah. I mean, so the, the farmers guys are a little bit different, right? Because they got that captive model. But what, we'll we can come back he's, to that. Yeah, he's, a, he's an independent guy. He's a great guy. So, <laughs> And we'll go, there's lots of good things about farmers. It's not a knockout farmers. But if you're an independent guy, you're not tied to a farmers. I mean, the, the, the big benefit to you is that you get this online shopping experience first and foremost. Like, So your customers can find you 24 hours a day, whatever, normal pitch. They can enter your quotes in at Saturday morning at 7 a.m. or whatever when you're not on the phone with them. The other thing is they get multiple quotes and multiple coverage on the same time. So you come through there, you can fill out one application, you get a quote for workers' comp, you get a quote for general liability, and you can get three or four different, however many more, quotes for each one of those lines of coverage in one experience. So you spend about five, six minutes filling out the app. At the end of that, you've got, through Eric, you know, three quotes for workers' compensation, you got three different quotes for general liability, you can make a decision based on what that is, or you can call Eric and say, hey, you know what, I don't know which one's best, what do you think? And so we really try to keep the agent involved in the whole process. But it's really that multi-quote, single-entry platform that you know kind of has a front label or a forward-facing digital storefront to offer to business owners. Gotcha. You know, it's so interesting. You were talking about, you know, APIs, the insurance company. I mean, it seems like this would already exist, right? Like, <laughs> It seems like it should, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny because we, I mean, we think we're super smart. But really what we're doing is just taking the same model that every other financial industry and, and lots of other industries, frankly, have done over the last, some of them, 20 years. <laughs> Whereas insurance really just in the last probably four or five years has kind of, you know, opened up. And there's, re- there's good reason for that, too. I mean, an insurance API is not this, like buying a ticket on your, you know, an airline ticket. You say, I'm going from Reno to Vegas. And, like, they come back and say, great, that's going to be 150 bucks each way, whatever it is, right? Like, it's relatively simple. But if you come in and say, I want workers' compensation, I mean, that's a legal contract. And so we want to know payroll. We want to know operations. We want to know, you know, how your business is identified, you know, using different code systems and things like that. And so it's a, it's a deeper integration that, you know, it doesn't – you're never going to find an insurance API, like, on a Google public – Google Doc, right? Yeah. Um, which is a little deeper than that. Yeah, which is interesting. I mean, you've got a lot of sensitive information. You've got to, you know, it's a lot more involved. You've got to get underwriting and all those other pieces involved. Interesting. So did you just wake up one day and decide, hey, you know, I'm going to totally disrupt the insurance world? Yeah, was, uh, yeah I, uh, you know, I grew up as a kid just dreaming of in- disrupting insurance. Well, I mean, I'm kidding. But actually, so obviously I'm kidding. But what is interesting is that so my co-founder, Matt Donovan, and I actually, we, we grew up together. We actually known each other since fifth grade. And so now we joke that we've been working on this since, since middle school, which is 100% not true, but we'll claim it. But yeah, I mean, so I worked in insurance. So I, I, after, you know, playing football up here at the university, like I was, by this time in my life, I was supposed to be retired from the NFL on my yacht with Super Bowl rings, right? Like that was plan A. Yeah. Plan A didn't happen. Plan B, I always get like, why didn't, why didn't you just do that? It wasn't my choice, man. <laughs> yeah, life has a way of giving you what you need, yes, right, I yes. guess. It all works out in the end. There, there's a reason for everything. I fully buy into that. But at the time, uh, yeah, they didn't they didn't call back. But it's <laughs> not my choice. It's really, really tough to talk about. But anyway, the point was I had to get a real job. You know, I found some connections in town and the university obviously helped with that kind of thing. And just, you know, being, you know, in town was, was helpful. And so got on with a local insurance agency and 
fell into the industry, like a lot of people fall into the industry. And, you know, insurance is not one of those industries where people kind of grow up saying, I want to be in insurance. It's just not. And there's not even, the university is actually launching one now, but there's really not even that many kind of majors around risk management and insurance. And so there's really people kind of fall into insurance after college for the most part. But now did that for a little bit, worked for an agency, enjoyed a lot of aspects of it, had the opportunity to kind of move up the distribution channel. And so worked for the insurance company, which kind of distributes the products, which was employers insurance in town, which is, you know, kind of this weird hidden publicly traded company in the middle of Reno that nobody knows about, but is, you know, New York Stock Exchange publicly traded company and great company to work for and worked for them for a while and had a lot of fun working for them. And they were starting to put some investments into their back-end tech, and so they were doing some things where they were doing automated underwriting and using predictive analytics and doing some things where you could kind of see the the trend heading that way. But then you got to the insurance agents who were selling a product, and they didn't have access to any of that technology. So it seemed like you had this weird bottleneck where carriers would put a bunch of money in, agents really couldn't take proper advantage of, of what was actually being done on the back-end. And so I actually, you know, someday we'll probably laugh about this, but pitched employers while I was working there, essentially the idea of talent. Yeah. And employers were like, I don't know, like the internet, like, we'll yeah. see about this. I don't know if this is going to be a thing or not. And I'm kidding, of course, if employers listen to this. I mean, it was kind of the conversation. It was just like, we don't think they're ready for it. And this was, you know, six, seven years ago, and it probably was early, frankly. And so then had the opportunity to when I left employers and then started Talage. And so kind of went back to them. And employers ended up being one of the first partners that we had on the platform. And so they've been fantastic. And so as much fun as it's to pick on them, you know, I've been instrumental in our, you know, early success. Sure. So what a cool story. I mean, I definitely, you know, I, I think this this moment of epiphany, you know, this, this sort of this mythical thing, like you just have this idea one day. But I mean, you know, really there's a, a lot of advantage of working inside of an industry oh, for sure. and seeing the inefficiencies and then having that moment of like, you know, after you're beating your head on the wall many times going, gosh, there's a better way to go, wait a second, let me just create a better way. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And it's, it's totally one of those things. That, like when I was working, they became LP Insurance as the guys in town, the big agency that I worked for out of college. They weren't LP at the time. They got acquired and then they were actually acquired by Wells Fargo. And Wells Fargo was an interesting company to work for. Sure. <laughs> and like, and especially on the insurance thing, right? Like their insurance history has been relatively well documented and, and not that fantastic at this point. But like they, they were starting to evaluate all these different, they, they had bought all these agencies across the country and they were rolling up small business in, into a call center. And so it was like this idea that small business could be efficient if you could, it could be valuable if you could make it efficient. They were unsuccessful in doing that. <laughs> but the idea was there, right? And so, you know, me as like, you know, 25-year-old was like, oh, there's something here. Like, this is interesting. And then, yeah. you know, just growing up and, and talking to different insurance producers and, and working with different ones at my time at employers and my time at Wells Fargo and, you know, inside Wells Fargo and outside of Wells Fargo. And it's just kind of this idea of small commercial because it's sticky, doesn't move anywhere. And it, and it really, you know, not that it's all, you know, out of the goodness of our hearts, but like the small business really is the lifeblood of, of the country. Absolutely. Right? I mean, you know, 80% of the workforce works for a small business. And so like finding ways to bring tools to small businesses where they can grow and be successful was a big part of what we we're doing too. So. Yeah. And it's really interesting. The, uh, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine, he's doing some real estate investment in the Midwest and really servicing these people that are in these homes that are like $60,000 homes, which is kind of hard to imagine given <laughs> where we're crazy. at in Reno. But we 600000 this month, I thought? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's a whole other, that's a, you different don't want to talk podcast. about football, I don't want to talk about yeah. housing. So, <laughs> so we'll, we'll have to talk about both football and housing perfect, later perfect. on. But it was interesting to me because he was basically like, these guys are unbankable. Like the banks have decided that we can't afford to service that class. And so, you know, here's a situation where you have a large bank who's trying to do this thing, but just by the nature of who they are, big behemoth, whatever, can't do it. And this is this is where it creates an opportunity for, you know, a young startup to come in there and see an opportunity and really be efficient. And, yeah, totally. And, because big banks and big insurance companies look very similar, right, as you can probably imagine. I mean, they've been around for 200 years, some of them, and 
wildly successful and have made tons and tons of money for their shareholders over the generations. And they do lots of good things. But you can't – it's not their fault sometimes, but they just can't do some things because of the way they're structured and how big they are. They just can't do it. Well, they're just not bastions of innovation, right? Like, they, you know, this is – we talk about in the ecosystem the difference between like a rainforest and a row crop, right? In a row crop, like you try and make everything perfect because you need to be able to produce tomatoes over and over and over again. In a rainforest, they're all weeds, man. You don't even know which one's which. And then one day one is huge and, you know, there you go. And that's what, you know, big companies are row crops. They are designed for that. So they're just not good at being innovative, which is a great, you know, if you can understand those opportunities and you can come in and be a young scrappy company, you yeah. can uh, really take advantage of it. And that's works. I mean, that's a great analogy. Actually, I haven't heard that one, but I like that because insurance is, is exactly that way. Like insurance companies are unbelievable cash flow mechanisms, right? Like there's probably nothing else on the planet that, that cash flows like an insurance company, right? Like they money in, they pay their claims, money goes out, they, they reinvest the money that's, you know, being held while that claim hasn't happened yet. And then they make money for their shareholders that way. And so, the underwriting technology that they have, like the institutional knowledge that they have, like I, some there's some insure techs out there that are like we're going to redo insurance companies, and I'm like how, like to me like that's not the angle. Like the angle is like help them with distribution, help them with innovation, like help yeah. them with claims, help them with some of these things. But like underwriting insurance, like they're really good at that. Yeah, I got it. I mean, weren't they the first billion dollar company was an insurance oh, company yeah. or something? Surely yeah. it's been ridiculous. A- yeah, I mean, insurance is like one of the few like truly like with a straight face trillion dollar industries. I mean, yeah. it's massive. Yeah. Interesting. So, you know, I think when we met, were you at a bank for a while? You were at Nevada? Yeah, I think so, so I was at a bank, which was like my weird, like, departure in my career. So I was working at employers and, like, pitched them this idea and, like, they, did, they didn't like it, which was a little bit frustrating. But, like, whatever. It was fine. But the bigger problem was I had two kids at the time, twin twin boys, and my wife was working at, wasn't working. She was working from whatever. She was raising, raising the boys at home. And then I, but I was traveling with employers. And so I was running the Western sales region. So I had kind of Texas, North and West was my territory. And every Monday I would get on a plane and every Thursday or Friday I would come home and it was just. Yeah, it's a lot. It was a ton. And I literally, I remember I was in Vegas and I got like, I would get whatever. I'm sure you get calls from headhunters and recruiters constantly, right? And like generally so you ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Don't say yourself short. But you ignore most of them, right? Like it's like, I'm happy what I'm doing. Like this is great. Like I'm fine. But like I literally, I was stuck in Vegas and like there was a storm and I was in the lots. I wasn't even in Vegas. I was in the airport because I was coming from wherever. And like it was like 10 o'clock on a Friday night. I wasn't getting home till like one o'clock. And I get this email from a recruiter and I was like, you know what? Yeah, screw it. Like I'm out. <laughs> yep. I'll take it. <laughs> and like his pitch was like, we'll pay you the same and you can stay in Reno. And like that was literally <laughs> it. And I was like, all right, like deal. Just easy pickings. <laughs> That's funny though. I had a, I had a very life changing moment in airport too. When <laughs> at the end of my medical device company, I just was like, I'm done. We're selling. Right. Stuck, you know, stuck, not getting home until yeah, late. No, had some airport's kids. great for clarity. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. We haven't had a lot of clarity for a while. I haven't been on an airplane for a while. Yeah. But. but yeah, so I went and worked for the bank for a little bit and, and loved the bank and then the people at the bank were amazing. But like very quickly realized like banking was not for me. And yeah. so I think it was probably about three months after the, I was working at the bank and I'm sure they suspect this, but they're probably hearing this now for the first time. I'm like basically started talent on the side, like about three months into actually working at the bank and then just got to a point where had to look at it, it as like I, I'm doing Talogen, I'm doing the bank, and I'm probably going to fail at both if I keep doing both. And so it was like I got to pick one or the other, and it just felt like the time to kind of jump out on the edge. Yeah, and I remember when we first met. You know, this was pretty early. I mean, because you guys have been running Talogen for what five years, four. Or five I mean, years? officially, yeah. I mean, the first iterations of Talogen were in 2015. I mean, so Talogen's been around for a little bit, and I mean that's a little misleading, but like that's really when we started working on it. I guess you know, from my vantage point as someone trying to grow the ecosystem, I mean, we didn't have a lot to to do to help support you. It was really frustrated for me that we didn't have you know good 
angel investors. I mean, we didn't have efficient angel capital. We didn't yeah. have a lot at that time. And, you know, we had, I had seen a few other companies that were promising like yours either leave or fail. Yeah. And, you know, you guys, despite some of the challenges in our ecosystem, have been successful. I mean, you, you were able to go raise capital outside the market. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, tell me a little bit about. No, I mean, I think we're just we're just unreasonably stubborn. Probably like we just Good. just refuse to fail. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, it's not easy, right? Like, I mean, I think the media. I don't say the media. Like, this is not like a, a mainstream media comment here. This is not going political. But <laughs> I think in the media, like around startups, right? You hear these stories. It was like you know somebody had an idea, and a week later, you know, Facebook buys them for three hundred million dollars, and like it's super easy. That was fun. Like, let's go do that again, right? Like, that's not what no. that happens on a very very rare occasion. But like. Not really. And so it's, it's kind of a grind and you got to slog it out. And so we were just, we were unwilling to accept no as an answer. And, and we did. I mean, but I think we also recognized that Reno was early and, and in some ways we were okay to kind of carry that, that flag and, and yeah. carry that burden. Cause we kind of had the thought of, you know, we talked to a couple of angels and, and there just weren't that many. Right. And so we got a couple of no's and it was like, oh, that was kind of, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you've uh, tapped well there. <laughs> and you're going to, I mean, that's the other thing too, when you're raising money, like you can get a lot of no's. Yeah. And so when you only have like five people to go to and you get a couple of no's, it's like, all right, well now we're, we're out of, we're out of people. But I think we also recognize, I mean, we kind of had the attitude of like, and it wasn't like an angry thing. We're not angry for those investors who not, sure. didn't invest in us, but it's kind of this attitude of like, look, some of these guys are going to have to miss, right? Like, and I I think Reno needs to miss a couple times yeah. before they really understand that, you know, you come in here and, and again, we would never call these people out and, it's, and there's no, we don't hold a grudge or anything like that. But it's like, like you passed on Talage. These guys are going to know they pass on Talage when, you know, hopefully Talage is a, a huge success and we go out and raise more money or we get bought by somebody or whatever. And they say, I could have had that, right? Yeah. And so maybe they missed out on us, but they won't miss out on the next guy. And they're going to take a closer look and they're going to say, okay, that's not as crazy. Somebody can do this in Reno. You can build a big company in Reno. You can be successful in Reno and, and take a harder look at it. And so I think sometimes I'm you know, with people you. need to win, but you also need to miss. So you know, it's you know. so funny you mentioned that, actually. Like, this happened in Ann Arbor. Duo, yeah. you know, Duo, very big yeah. success, a couple billion yeah. dollar exit. The local angels were not part of that. Yeah, and, or Not all of them. And I, I don't know all the intricacies, right, right. but, it, but it, broadly some people missed. And I think the you know, part of the point of that was the process and the way that they interacted with Duo. They were just like, no, 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 it's easier to get capital other places. And, you know, us being so close to the Bay Area can be a bonus, right? I mean, you guys were able to go to Silicon Valley and get seed funding and and you guys have gone through a couple rounds now. Yeah, so we've raised, I mean, total in, we've got 6.8 million is what we raised total and through, I mean, a friends and family round, a seed round and whatever. We called it an A, but at this point, like A's are... They're, they're, it's a movie thirty target. million dollar nope, <laughs> no back of a napkin rounds apparently, but yeah, we called it an A at the time. But I think that also speaks to you know being in Reno you know, that that you maybe didn't you maybe didn't raise as much money as some of these other companies, but you can be much more capital efficient. This is oh for sure. I mean, you're I'm sure your engineering costs and all of those are yeah. you know yeah. I mean, engineering costs. I mean, they're definitely reduced a little bit, right? I mean, we are we are pulling some talent out of the Bay Area now at this point, right? Because we sure. just need bodies. I mean, the one that always just makes us laugh is like like our rent, right? Like compared to the San Francisco area. <laughs> like, I think our investors, I mean, because some of our investors have never actually been to our office just with COVID and things like that. And so, you know, they, they see the rent line on our on our budget, you know, that we send out and they're like, you guys like live in a closet. Like what it, <laughs> like, no, it's a nice office. Like, it's like, you got right, you're right next to Code Coffee. Right, it's a we nice got a co- area. Yeah, we got a coffee shop. We got a nice courtyard. I mean, it's beautiful. <laughs> it just like blows them away. It's like, really? Wow. Oh, yeah. And to be able to tap into some of that talent, I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges that, is that startups face in the Bay Area, especially, is just competing for talent with oh, Google and Facebook and all that. I mean, yeah. people, you know, once people come here, I mean, Reno's not for everybody, but once you come here and you, if you like it here, it's a great place yeah. and people want to stay. And, yeah. you know, I think you guys provide 
one of, a, you know, what I would say a pretty rare opportunity to be part of something that's going to grow. There's, I imagine your employees have equity. Yeah. Some of them do. No, yeah. everybody, yeah, every employee has equity, which was important to us as we were building a company. We wanted that to be, you know, part of what we did. We wanted people to own part of what they're building. And, and so that's fun. And we're excited about that. But what's interesting is that, like, people in Reno, like, don't understand that. Yes. And so no, there was kind of an education kind of piece of, like, hey, you get equity. And they're like, cool. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> Because yeah. like there aren't a lot of companies in Reno that we don't give them anything. They earn it, obviously, yeah. through a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. But like the idea of having equity in the company you're working for, there's not that many companies in Reno. And so explaining stock options to people, explaining some of that stuff was just kind of, I don't know if it's funny or, or, or anything. It just is. Oh, but it, no. was just, it, it was interesting to kind of walk through that process. It, it was good, actually, because we had to really understand stock options. Totally. But, you know, <laughs> I think it. this is the thing, though. This is part of the sophistication of the ecosystem, right? People, you know, I had a friend of mine who was looking at two different jobs. One had some equity in the other. And he didn't even really connect with that. Yeah. And I'm like, this is wealth creation. Like, oh, you know, I can make $5,000 more a year here. But this is a place. But they give me a couple thousand shares. And I'm like, you know, my first job out of college, I had like 3,000 shares in a company. Yeah. Ended up going public, and it wasn't life changing money. For, no. I mean, but it was wealth creation for me Absolutely. at like twenty five. Like, Absolutely, and that fundamentally set me up on a different trajectory in life. Yeah, and so I don't think people quite recognize that. And 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 as we start to see more startups, and you know, hopefully you guys will have a big exit, and you'll mint a bunch of new millionaires. That will play out. You know, the, kind of that flywheel being played forward, and it, and that just goes to show other people in Reno what's possible. Like yeah. startups aren't these like, yeah, they're needy in the very beginning, but they have potential to create real wealth in the community that will transform it right. for generations. Right. And that fly, I mean, the fly was exactly right because like, and whatever, maybe we make a bunch of million, maybe, maybe we make a bunch of hundred thousand years, right? Like, like, That's right like, too. Yeah. I mean, you're 30 years old and I hand you a 200, I mean, I, I'm almost 40 and you hand me a $200,000 check. I'd be pretty excited about that. So, you like, can almost buy a house now. <laughs> almost buy, I put a down payment on one anyway. <laughs> But I think that's like, and, and so like people kind of get the bug, right? And then now all of a sudden you got $200,000 in your pocket and you got an idea that like, hey, college was, was close, but like I want to spin it a little bit different way, right? And like, I think that's how Silicon Valley became Silicon Valley over the course of 50 years. And you can't yep. fast track that really. But like, you know, there's there's exits and then people who got money from that exit put that money into the next startup. And, and that's when you kind of get this thing. And there's not... I don't think there's a shortcut to that, unfortunately, but that's, no. that's where we need to go. I'm with you. I think, you know, we're, what I've noticed over the last, I've been doing this work at Edon for nine years, which is kind of amazing, honestly. So long as I've done anything, actually. I ran my startup for about eight years. But yeah, just noticing how that sophistication level is continuing to increase. And, you know, it's it takes entrepreneurs locally. It's taking folks from outside, kind of bringing their expertise. It's requiring our, our service providers to up level. Yep. You know, that all has to kind of come up. And that just, it's not, that's not something you just snap your fingers and it just happens. It takes time. Yeah. And that, I mean, the, the good thing too is like, and, you know, we're, like to think we're a part of it, right? It's the network. And, and I think that's one of the things I learned and learning constantly and like, it's just life, right? It's who you know. <laughs> For better or worse, it's just like, that's how the, the earth works, right? You know, when you have a company like us and we go out and we raise some capital from the Bay Area. And so our lead investor, Maris Capital out of Palo Alto, we were the first check they ever wrote for somebody who wasn't within that 15 mile yeah. radius around Palo Alto. And like that blew their minds. Like, and now they joke all the time that since, since they wrote a check to us, they wrote a check to a company in Arkansas and a company in Germany. So like Reno was literally like this opening, like eye-opening thing of like, there are companies that aren't on BART, right? So like that that idea really opened their eyes up. And if, if we can, 
you know, it's not going to happen all the time, but like if there's a, an investor who wants an intro to Maris, right? And Maris knows us. And that's how this whole thing, like if you're trying to meet investors, you know, having a warm intro from another founder is, is the way to do it. And the more Absolutely. founders we get up here, the, the bigger that network gets, the more money that comes in, the bigger the network gets, right? Like, so. Totally. It's, it's, we're literally building bridges like one relationship at a time. Oh yeah. And it, that, like you said, that just takes time. Yeah. COVID has definitely accelerated that. I think that, you know, your Maris was probably pretty early. I mean, I remember it wasn't that long ago that people were like, I don't invest outside of my backyard. And now the world has shifted. You know, yep. they, obviously the political instability of the coasts and all that other stuff. I mean, there's just all these macro effects that have opened people's eyes to that. And now I think it's much more open to, oh, to for investing. Sure. But that yeah. was pretty early days. For, no, for it was. And it was, which is such a, like a ridiculous, I mean, honestly, like... <laughs> What is the, like, why would you need to be down the street from somebody, right? Like, you're just going to check in on their office and make sure their artwork on their walls is, like, appropriate? Like, I, it's a ridiculous concept. And I, and I think, like, COVID was awful, right? But I do think there are silver lines that we can take from every situation that you come into. And, and I think that's one of them. I think it made the world smaller. Um, it opened up the opportunity for kind of the non-coastal startups and founders across this country. And, and a lot of the coastal ones moved in, I think. You know, I think people went back home to their families and recognized that, you know, spending two hours on BART a day, you know, maybe wasn't the best quality of life. They, that two hours could be spent with their kids or totally. see their grandma or any, anything else. Anything right else. Like, yes. any, literally anything else, right? <laughs> I can think of anything else other than spending two hours on BART a day. It's just so loud. I don't know what the deal with that one it is. It is loud. And it's hot. Like, it's hot all the time. Like, even in the winter, it's hot in BART. Like, it's just hot all yeah. the time in BART. <laughs> it's just, it does nothing for me. I, I got to tell you, though, I, I am going to be on BART <laughs> next week. Now that I'm flying Jet Suite, Jet Suite is awesome. Jet Suite. I, dude, we just discovered, so we went down to uh, Newport three weeks ago or something like that. One of our investors, we did, so we're, we're starting to raise capital again, actually. And so one of our current investors down in Pasadena, and so we met him down in Newport, whatever, Southern California. It was the first time I'd actually met him in real life. Like, he actually wrote a check right before COVID, and so we were supposed to meet, like, last spring and then just never did. But yeah, anyway, it took Jet Suite down. Like, that blew me away. Oh, it's game-changing. Like, now I only want to go to Oakland, Orange County, and yep. Vegas. Like, if, if it's not one of those places, I'm not going. Like, I, <laughs> I, you know, sadly, I had to fly out Friday morning early, so I couldn't take the Jet Suite <sighs> flight. And I was like... I was trying everything to get out of the Thursday night thing just so I could fly jets. It's just a, it's just a game changing experience. Like oh, it's incredible. Fist bump the pilot, two hours yeah. of fly. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Right. No, it's amazing. So my wife just went on vac- like went with a, a girls trip last weekend. She went down to Arizona. She flew into Vegas and flew back out of Vegas, and like rearranged her trip so that she couldn't take the flight the jet suite X flight down to Vegas because she had to be there too early. It just didn't work out. Yeah. But she like rearranged her whole trip so she could at least take jet suite X back on the way back. Well, you're actually doing a really great service for the community by flying jet suite. Cause it's not, you know, those things are never guaranteed. Right. So oh, we no. need to get, so tell well, all already, your friends. I mean, it already left once, right? Like, uh, yeah, it, that was, that was kind of a strange deal. It was sort of a pilot and, you know, Tesla and there was a whole thing. And then the airport, it was just a, you know, it was just a mess, but now they're in, they're much more committed and we I, just got to fly them. So fly very yeah. early and often. <laughs> We should, should we note that this was not a paid commercial for Jet No, Suite? it should be. I, I will put a link to JetSuite on the bottom, though, just because it's my personal mission to make oh, sure they're successful. No, they're incredible. Uh, yeah, I've, I was blown away. <laughs> it's funny. So tell me, what's it been like to to hire here? I mean, this is one of the things that's – everybody that's interested in coming come in here yeah. asks me, what's the talent like here? Yeah. It's interesting, right? Like, I, I think Reno has really weird – it's not weird. That's not the right word. But like interesting depths of talent. Like if you want marketing people, like for some reason, like Reno has like some fantastic marketing agencies, like digital ad agencies, all those kind of things. Like I think the marketing talent in Reno is way deeper than I think people would expect it to be, which is fantastic. On the engineering side, 
there's a lot of talent here too. Like I would, the tricky part about, and I think it's actually changing with COVID, which is helpful, but like there's a lot of hidden talent in Reno and like you got to find it. Cause like there's a lot of people that have been working remote for Silicon Valley companies for 10, 15 years yeah. and they live in South Reno, right? Like they just, and they just work out of their house. But it's like, how do you find those guys? Cause they don't, they're, they're, they don't network. They don't do any of that. They just work yeah. for their company and they go home. And so like finding some of those guys is trickier, but like, I think there's some recruiters in the Reno area who've, you know, kind of tapped into that network a little bit and have done a good job. And so, I mean, our engineering team, you know, we're a little di- distributed at this point. I mean, we've got 21 employees total at Talage, and I think five of them are actually, five or six, six of them are, like, actually remote, like, yeah. wherever they are. Mostly it's the salespeople. Yeah, the development talent is, is in Reno, and our CTO is actually in the Bay Area, and so he comes up pretty regularly, and it's an easy trip. And so, yeah, yeah I mean, hiring is not has not been a problem. I mean, frankly, if, if anything, like, <laughs> I think we're losing a little bit of the advantage of, like, that talent was a little less expensive here. Yeah. Like, it's, the price is definitely going up now, as yeah. it is everywhere. And, and I think Silicon Valley kind of breaking down the walls is fantastic in terms of availability, but it's also driving the price up a little bit would be the catch of that. But. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that you're right, that the engineering talent is going to normalize in pricing. It's, you know, it's all the other other things, you know, customer success, finance, you know, back office, all those things are still, you know, more affordable um, oh, for sure. than other places. But I'm, I'm with you. I tech talent, you know, this is so funny that as we're trying to build more capacity, you know, we, we're talking to the state about like code schools and things yeah. like that. And they're like, hey, can you show the demand? I'm like, it's the number one in <laughs> demand, you know, career in the world. Like, yeah. you know, you don't need to take my word for it. Just yeah. ask anybody. Well, we're, I mean, we're excited about the program you guys are doing. I don't know if you're directly involved in it. The not, apprenticeship but we, but program? Karis, Kara Harris. Karis. I just call her Karis from now. Uh, <laughs> I'm Kara, sure she'll appreciate that. Yeah, it's fine. We, we go way back. Uh, but we Kara and the and TMCC and the program up there. I mean, so I, I called the other day. I was like, hey, can we like hire all these guys? Like, I mean, we'll, we'll take them on and kind of build like a – it's not an internship program, but like yeah. something like that where it's like, we'll, we'll take them on and then, you know, give them a 90 day trial or like, I don't know, whatever, like figure something out. But like, I mean, we just need bodies and like we, yeah. we need people who, we need smart people who know what they're doing. And what we do is so specific that like, there's probably somebody out there somewhere that like, we're going to like, oh, I, have it. I integrate with insurance carriers, APIs, right? Like that person doesn't exist. Yeah. But we just need smart people who like, you know, can work hard and understand it and we, and we can train them on the details. And so programs like that, I think are fantastic because it's like. Look, we, we got people who are willing to jump through some hoops, people who are willing to, you know, put in some work on a, on a two-year program or a year-and-a-half program, whatever it was, and, you know, and, and work hard. I mean, that's the biggest capabilities we need. So. Totally. You need, you know, good cultural fit. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's the secret, right? If you can help find the talent. Because they're coming out of the schools with yeah. just – I mean, it's just a skills mismatch. I mean, yeah. it's just fundamentally yeah. – I thought they'd fix this. I mean, I came out of school with an engineering degree, and it was true then, and it's that's been a long time. It's – I don't know. I'm like – and I don't know what it is. I mean, I guess I've obviously still have a lot of connections up at the university, but like, I don't know if it's just like the old money from like the IGTs who, and I, this is not a knock on IGT, but their technology is very different, right? It's not web-based technology. It's, you know, it's built into these things. And so, you know, I don't know if it's still an influence on them kind of driving the school of like, we need people who know C++ and it's like nobody, literally nobody else wants that except for them. I don't know how we, and we don't have the clout that IGT does, right? Like, we're not going to give a million dollars to the business school. Like, I can't do that. Yeah. And I'm not even sure that's the issue. I mean, it's not. I think, I mean, it, I'm sure that's part of it, but it's, it's just, you know, the accreditation standards the requirements, all of these things. And, you know, it's more of the theoretical basis. Whereas I think if my kids went to school today, I would probably suggest they get a liberal arts background and then also plan to go get a technical certification. Yeah. Yeah. So to kind of make them good humans, like give yeah. them good human skills and yeah. then technical skills because, or some combination 
thereof. Well, no, I mean, because you need to be a good learner, right? Because even if, I mean, I guess that's the problem too, is like whatever, not picking on C++ or IGT or anybody I had else. to learn C++. You can pick on it. It's painful, <laughs> man. I still have nightmares about pointers. But the problem is like, even if we go out and we're going to say like, okay, like, I don't know, the language today is React. We want everybody to use React. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Like by the time you're done with that degree, like the, React will no longer be the greatest thing since sliced bread. Like, so there's really no way to keep up. And so it's really, how do you teach that lifelong learning ability? Like, that's the important thing is like, here's some fundamentals. Here's how basically the whole thing works together. And then like, and now here's how you learn a new language that we don't even know exists yet. And like, that's the, I think the critical part. Yeah, no, I, I agree. What's great though, is just like, you know, how the community didn't really understand about wealth creation and stock options. I think our economy has not been driven on technology. And so you don't, you have generations of people not even really understanding. So you're starting to see the basis of this in the robotics. So robotics yeah. is a really, is kind of like the gateway drug to other <laughs> technology, right? Gateway like, drug. you know, the Lego robotics is like your transition into, other technologies, which is, it's, what do they call them? Users, right? Same yeah, thing. It's, it's all the same thing. <laughs> all of those things are starting to play out in the, you know, at the, at the grade schools yeah. and all that. So I, I think you're seeing that collective shift. And, you know, those of us that came from technology, you, you show up here and you're like, this is a no brainer. And then you start to realize, no, no, it's a no brainer for people that grew up in technology. It's definitely not a no brainer when the predominant industry was hospitality, gaming and other things. And so that's, I think that's the big collective shift because you need, you know, you need your parents to be like, oh yeah, maybe you should go do computer science. And if they didn't even know that was an option, it's a problem. So uh, this is kind of a rising tide thing. I've, I've noticed this is also elevated over the last couple of years, but we started from pretty far, far down. No, I mean, I I think, I mean, even looking back at my 20 years in Reno, right? Like 2001 in Reno is very different than it is today, right? I mean, for all kinds of reasons, right? Like I'm six foot five, almost 300 pounds. All my buddies in college were six foot five, 300 pounds. And like, we didn't go downtown because it was terrifying. And now downtown's fantastic, right? Like, I mean, so like even like the work that we've done and, you know, the city council's done and, and groups like you guys have pushed on in terms of cleaning up. Like, it was almost like in 2010, like, Reno realized they were on a river, and it was like, oh, this is cool. Like, we should maybe do something. <laughs> like, yeah. No, it was illegal to swim in the river for right, many years right, right. because it was antithetical to the casino business model. Yeah, exactly. Right? It was just like, wow, like, we're on a beautiful river. Like, maybe we should do something. Like, put some bars and restaurants on the river. Like, yeah. what an idea. And whatever. Maybe better late than never, right? Hey, at least we're getting to benefit from it. I, I do, I, you know, sadly, I'm a little old to go to the bar hopping now, and yeah, they're yeah, all yeah. good now, <laughs> yeah. you know? Unfortunately... Back in the day when I was in that, it was like Sierra Tap House, which is a good friend's bar. Yeah, yeah. It was the only option. There has always been like really good things. And it's just like, how do you kind of multiply that and make it better? And I mean, what they're doing with Midtown and I mean, even what they're doing on 4th and, and everything over there with, you know, where Louis and the Depot is and things like that. I mean, they're doing, I mean, it's, it's come a long way. And, and, you know, we're pretty excited about being a part of it. And I mean, we use Reno to sell, you know, come into Reno and... And so is that working for you? I mean, you know, I, I'm curious. I mean, you you've, you said about ha- you have some people from the Bay Area. Over these years, have you noticed any kind of shift in terms of recruiting? I mean, a little bit, but like, there's also like COVID, right? And so I don't know that our data is like useful, frankly. I mean, because when, so in 2000, November of 2019, we class our, closed our last funding round and actually started hiring. So on, on that day, I think we had seven or eight people or something like that. We closed the 5 million and then we put together this big hiring plan and we hire a couple and then obviously fall of 2020 or spring of 2020, like everything, everything locks down, down, right? And so our hiring, it just changed. We've hired more people outside of Reno. I think that's more of a function of COVID than it is yeah. of anything else, frankly. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, what are you, have you seen any other shifts in your industry or as a result of COVID or? So our industry is interesting because like 
there's obviously some big coastal startups, right? But like a lot of the insurance companies are actually based in weird places like like Iowa and Ohio, right? It has like a bunch of insurance companies that have been there forever, Illinois. So there's actually like insure tech in general is actually really strong in the Midwest. I mean, the Midwest is doing a lot of things like Reno's doing, right? Like yeah. trying to attract companies and doing things like that. And so we see a lot of those. There's obviously the big New York guys around the, you know, the insurance companies in New York and things like that. Just the general finance world. And insure tech, I mean, there's a handful of West Coast ones, but there's not... I mean, the Midwest and, the, and like New York City is where most yeah. of the insure tech companies are. And then there's us and there's obviously a handful of Bay Area guys. But yeah, they haven't shifted around too much. Yeah. Who who do you consider your biggest competition? We don't we don't have any. We're superior in every single way. <laughs> Spoken Not- like a totally humble startup <laughs> entrepreneur. I mean, people who would think we're competition to them is probably a better way, <laughs> better way to say it. No, I mean, we there's a handful of companies. I mean, there's one in uh, Boston called Tarmica. And there's another one, where are they based? I'm blanking on where they're based right now, but called Semsi. There's another one, actually, that just got acquired. They were actually in Ohio. They were in Columbus called Bull Penguin. Um, they just had a ridiculous exit, which is cool because when things like that, I mean, they sold for like $500 million on like, I don't know, like $15 million in projected revenue or some wow. ridiculous number, which is crazy. And there's, there's pros and cons in numbers like that. Sure. But the good part is, I mean, like people are interested in insure tech because it's like, all right, this is, yeah. they're recognizing like this is a trillion dollar opportunity. And like, it's not one of those things where it's like, you need to capture 50% of the market. It's like, you can capture 2% of the market and like, yeah. you're a big deal. Which is great. I mean, I, unfortunately, my medical device company had a small market. <laughs> so we had to, you know, we had to yeah. capture yeah, a lot of it. All of it. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. It, you know, and I didn't fully appreciate that because, you know, I'm in there just selling and yeah. trying to, but you're right. I mean, if you can capture a small percentage of that yeah. market. Yeah. I mean, when we look at, I mean, because I, I threw out that trillion dollar number and, that, and that's a true, not like, I think it's like 1.3 trillion or something was insurance premiums last year or something like that. But like the target we're going after, like we whittled that all the way down to like a hundred billion small commercial market, right? This is just this tiny little hundred yeah. billion dollar market yeah, is what we're tiny. going after. Yeah, I mean, we're not touching life insurance. We're not touching personal auto insurance. We're not touching health insurance, like, you know, your, your yeah. you know, normal benefits insurance, things like that. I mean, so we don't touch any of that stuff. I mean, we still are looking at a hundred billion dollar opportunity. And so just a huge market. And it's gained a lot of attention, like I say, because we've had a handful of interesting acquisitions in the last year or so. Yeah. So VCs are kind of all over it, which is a positive for us right now. Yeah, it's always, it's interesting though. It's tricky to be in that space. You know, I have friends who ran Sidecar, which was yeah. an early competitor to Uber. Yeah. And just having this conversation around how to how much money to raise and how to do that. You know, he was, you know, one of the things he had some regret about, maybe regret or just, you know, hindsight was he would have raised a lot more money earlier if he would have really appreciated the competitive nature of Uber, yeah. right? Yeah. And so you just, you know, I'm I'm curious about that. Like as you scale and you have big entrance in the markets, like how do you navigate that? It's interesting because there's there's definitely like I think in my nature, just a little bit more conservative, a little bit, where it's like, like let's raise what we need, right? Let's not raise more than that because we'd like to own some of this company at some yeah. point, right? But I think there's also, I mean, there's a couple of different things. Like, A, you don't know who's coming. And like in insurance, there's there's big, deep pockets, right? Like, and so we could have a new competitor show up tomorrow with deep pockets backed by somebody. The other thing is like, this is weird, like, and insurance is probably not that unique, but it, it does happen in insurance where there's this like weird posturing thing where it's like, we'd raise $20 million. That makes us better than you. And it's like, well, Maybe. <laughs> it's, also, it's also just kind of a non-relevant, like, wait, how much money you raise yeah. doesn't no. indicate the quality of your product or the quality of your team or the quality of your company. But in a lot of ways, like, insurance kind of has this validation. And, and again, I think a lot of industries do that. But industry insurance has this validation by amount raised. And so part of it's like, 
like, well, if we can raise 10, like, yeah, but if we can raise 15, then we can tell everyone we raised 15, even though we really only needed 10 or whatever, right? Like, I mean, you kind of get this weird number of like, how much do you really want to raise and why? Which your point is not, I mean, that's not a good measure, right? I mean, really. (laughs) It's a ridiculous measure. (laughs) It's like, oh, great. Look at how much company I sold, you know. Right, right, right. Uh, Really, I think the question is around what is the, what is needed in the market? Like for you guys to, to capture the, you know, the market and if you're if you really are going to compete like you know yeah. uber and lyft were really good examples of that yeah. just battling it out and now they're both you know successful yeah. but you know what is it really what do you guys really need to take it to the next level is yeah. the, is the better question and that's it's interesting i don't you know i don't understand the dynamics of your industry well enough no it's i mean it's an interesting industry and like part of it i mean it's so relationship driven and so like you know part of it's just like being around and, and a lot of it's like marketing and name brand recognition and you know the, the way we get in with the carriers i mean these integrations like you can't really copy what we did. I mean, you can. Like, good luck to you. Because basically what we do is you have all these carriers that have all these APIs. And, and as you can imagine, like, they're not all created equal. And so you have different quality. You have different – They some of them do different things. They have different levels of deepness of integrate. I don't know if that's a real word. But, like, whatever. Some of them you can get in deeper and some of them are more surface-level integrations, right? And, and so what our system actually does and, like, the coolest thing we built – which is like completely invisible to everybody, is we take all these APIs in, we take in all their information, and then we essentially have a centralized API, the Talage API, that takes all that in there, standardizes it. Because insurance is like an industry of standards that like nobody likes the current standards, so they make up a new standard. And so now there's like 15 standards in the insurance industry. And then you have 50 different states because insurance is, the jurisdictions are by state, not by the federal government. And so you have, you know, 50 different states doing different things. You have, you know, different like you have the SIC standard you have the the NAICS standard like all these insurance nerdy insurance terms and like people were like well I don't really like SIC so they made up NAICS but then like some people did like SIC so they kept it right like so it's like very fragmented. Yeah. And then you have carriers that just like literally made up their own. They're like, this is our version. It's like, sweet. Thank you. <laughs> and so like we take in all these different sets of codes and we basically made the Talage code. And so now like if somebody else wants to integrate, because we have a public facing API too. So like you don't have to use our interface. If, if you want to build your own, you can actually access our integrations through through a public facing API of the APIs. And so we can kind of standardize that whole thing and push it all out where you like, here's one set of standard codes. And so what we built, I mean, we kind of laugh, like the most valuable thing we ever build may just end up being an industry standard because Insurance has just never really had one. I'm fascinated. It's sort of like the one ring to rule them all. Yeah. You guys have got <laughs> very similar. You guys, big Lord of the Rings fans. Yeah, is that was that? Some the of, some of us. We got yeah. a lot of engineers on the team. It's pretty nerdy over there. Yeah. Well, they were telling me when they, we went to lunch the other day for the first time in like a year, and they were explaining to me like the hierarchy of nerdy things, and like Lord of the Rings was better than Star Trek. And I think Star Wars might have oh, – where was Star Wars? I forget. But anyway, there was like there was a hierarchy of nerdiness that they were explaining to me. And that like, that's nerdy, but like this isn't nerdy. Because a couple of them had learned Elfish. Uh, and they told me that was cool. But learning Klingon, like uh, – Not like, so cool. Not cool. This is tough. This is good. This is a good thing. I mean, I think you sh- you should have a T-shirt that shows the hierarchy of nerdiness. <laughs> I would I would totally wear that. Like I think it's like Magic: The Gathering, right? Like that's the top. Uh, like that's the pinnacle. Like nobody's nerdier than them. Like the Dungeons and Dragons probably right below that. So. Yeah, funny funny story. My brother and a bunch of his nerdy friends from Stanford like hire the best dungeon master in the world, and they come and play in Reno for like a week, <laughs> and they you know, and what is, his wife calls it SWS, stupid wizard shit. <laughs> I like it. I just great. It was fun. No, it's just, but you know, that's that's uh, that's part of what you get when you're yeah. working in tech. It's no, no, it's been a blast, and it's and like, I mean, I, I mean, working in tech and working in startups, right? Like, it's not for everybody. Like, that, I mean, I remember going to college and like taking these courses, and they're like. 
everyone should build a startup, right? Like that was like, I took one course was like kind of everyone should build a startup. And I was like, this is speaking right to me. And then like, you know, I was kind of sitting there. I was like, why doesn't everybody build a startup? Like this is, it seems so obvious. And like, like a year in, you're like, oh yeah. Cause like a lot of it really sucks. There's just a lot of things you don't plan on and the people issues that come up. And even when you're a little company, you get these little like weird little people issues. And it's like, sure. I just focus on the bigger picture. And so kind of leading at that, I think you understand that, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. It's not a nine to five gig, right? Like you, yeah. it, it never turns off. I mean, even when we go on vacation, like I'm taking conference calls every other hour and it's yeah. just, I mean, there's a lot to it. And so I think there's a lot of negative things about a startup, but on the flip side, I mean, there's nothing more fun. I mean, you wake up every single morning, you're totally energized and it's literally like, we're going to do this. Yeah. We've built a great team, like people surrounding me. And now that we're growing, we have people that are way smarter than me. I mean, I tell people all the time, like, like, Talage was my big idea. Like, I don't have any more ideas. So, like, I need you guys to take that one and now make it bigger. Like, that was my contribution. Like, now it's your job to actually make it even bigger, right? Which is great. As a leader, you get to empower all your people to oh, create. I mean, that's, and it's amazing. When you take something from zero to one, it's, there's nothing else quite like that. I mean, no, the real cool. to kind of, kind of create the world with, with through your own eyes yeah. is is a very rewarding thing. Yeah. But you're getting, I mean, seeing the employees like buy in, like that's been one of the coolest things for me kind of personally is like, like I had this idea, right? Like originally like, you know, probably five or six beers in, like in my backyard, like the original idea for Talage like got written in a notebook, right? Like super, super early then synced up with my co-founder, Matt. And then he and I spent a few months kind of putting together business plans and all these things. And then actually signed a contract to help with employers to, to distribute their product for them and, and then actually raised a little bit of money from friends and family. And so it was like every one of those steps was like, all right, this is like a thing. And then I remember hiring the first employees and then the first employees basically telling us like how bought in they were into it, right? And yeah. then they didn't say like, oh, I'm bought into it. It was just like these things that they would do where it's like, you know, they would question things we're doing where it's like, is that really the best thing for what we're trying to do? And it's like, yeah. oh, okay. Like you, like you're bought in, like this means something to you, which yeah. is cool to take something from your head. Oh yeah. Give it to somebody else and then have them buy in and, and take ownership of it. Well, and then, you know, obviously you, you know, you're building, I think startups are kind of like cults in a way. You're building oh, these tiny, you know, yeah. these, these organizations. Yeah. I mean, I, Without the negative connotation, of course, you know they're built around your drinking. You know. Yeah, you're, I mean, tell, we all wear the same color clothes every day. But like, you do? oh, that's that. good. <laughs> Are you? I would just pay attention to the comets that come around. You might want to make sure your staff is all we there. Don't. It's not true. <laughs> no. Do you guys have any well articulated core values? Is this a the values that we're building and the culture we're bringing? It's, it's evolved over the last year too. Because hiring a remote team, I mean, we have employees that we've we've never met. In real life, I think hiring a remote team like that it changes the culture, and not not for the better, not for the worse, it just changes it. Yeah. So I think you know, kind of understanding what the core value is. But I think at the heart, it's like, look, we want to help small businesses get better insurance, and we want to do that through the agencies that we serve, who are themselves are small businesses, right? So really, I think you know, everything we do is at the core of that. Is like we're helping small businesses, whether it's insurance agencies, whether it's the customers they serve, whoever it is, like that. That's our mission, and that's what we're trying to do. And I think when you keep it at a relatively high level like that. It, a, it's easier to articulate. <laughs> totally. No, I mean, I, look, my number That's one. That's easier to buy into, too. Totally. Like, <laughs> my number one core value is entrepreneur first. Yeah. It makes it very simple. And yeah. it's, it's very clarifying. Like, yeah. if I get an opportunity, doesn't seem like it's the right thing for the entrepreneur, yeah. you know, I'm off. So yeah. I totally agree with you. It's and, and, you know, if you're focused on that and everybody knows that, you get everybody lined up. Yeah. What are some of the other things that were kind of challenges for you along the way? Like, what any big big things that you didn't expect? I'm, I'm sure there are many. But. Oh, yeah, lots of things. I mean, raising money is hard. Like, I don't think you can prepare for that, like, by reading books. Like, and I did. But, like, you don't really quite get it until you get into that. I mean, I would say one of the things I think is hard for some people, and it wasn't for me personally, is, like, the family situation, right? Like, I have to give all the credit in the world to my wife. She's unbelievably fantastic and supportive. And 
I don't know that she would let me do it again, but she was unbelievable and, and continues to be, right? Like, I mean, it's, we're still on this journey. This is far from over by any means. That can be very difficult if you don't kind of get the family on board. And I think you need, I mean, we did. We sat down and we're like, look, this is going to be hard. Like, we're not going to take a salary for a minute. Like, we're not going to do some of these things. Like, money's going to get tight. Like, we're probably running the credit cards up a little bit. Like, all these conversations, I think you just have them out. And then when they happen, like, it's not a surprise. Like, it still sucks, but like, it's not a surprise. Yeah. And then you can kind of work through it. And so, you know, I, I think I did a halfway decent job of holding the timelines. I was like, you know, we're going to be really broke for like a year. And, you know, I think it was 18 months before we were a little less broke. So I didn't yeah. quite hold there. But I think having those conversations up front, I think, is a big deal. And then I think raising money, like I said, it's, it's hard because it's like you're going to hear no a whole lot. <laughs> and you yeah. have to like, you have to be okay with that. And you have to be able to say, like, okay, it's not personal. It's not, you know, it's not a no. It's more of a not right now, right? Or, or maybe it is a no and like whatever. It's just a bad thing. They don't right? usually like to tell you no because when the bigger investor comes in and then right. they're like, oh, well, maybe I should be on that. They, yeah, you yeah. know, they don't want to burn that. And we see that all the time. I mean, we, we got a lot of, you know, kind of soft maybe no's. And then we, you know, we get a lead investor and they're like, oh, well, maybe, maybe we'll come back in. So we saw a lot of that. And, and I think that's, it's, it's, it's not just a knock natural. on them. It's the, it's the way of the world. It's the way how the works, business yeah. works. And so, Hearing no and still like waking up every day and being excited about it, like that's that's hard to do, frankly. And yeah, yeah, I had to turn at one point. I had to turn people's nose into this, this desire to prove people wrong, which yeah. may or may not have been the best strategy, but it definitely <laughs> kept me, you know. We've done sometimes, that before. Sometimes it's good to listen to the nose too, right? Yeah. Like to understand yeah. where they're coming from. But yeah. you know, in that moment when you're you're fully pregnant and you just got to get the money going, it, you know, nos aren't very helpful. Well, you got to kind of understand their no too. I mean, because sometimes, like, I mean, that's the thing I think that wasn't clear is like sometimes people just don't like your idea like fine but like what and i expected that but the thing that was like weird to me is like sometimes people are like and i, and I didn't realize this either the vcs are constantly raising money too right like i mean there's this whole game that kind of runs up the trail and so like sometimes like they're in the you know the ending their second fund and they're starting their third fund and they just literally can't write a check for the next six months because yeah. of the you know the financial logistics of the whole thing and so i think there's a lot of these like no's that you got where it's like that wasn't even that was not even our fault no yeah. right like, like yeah. no like your idea is dumb is like fine and then and then I think you also have, especially when you have kind of a niche industry like InsureTech that not everybody understands. And there's a lot of like robotic. I mean, there's a lot of oh, industries yeah. where it's like pretty specific knowledge. Like you need investors who at least understand the opportunity and understand that. I mean, we had a couple people tell us like, we don't think this is a big opportunity. And it's like, you're wrong. Like you can tell me you don't think we're capable of going after this big opportunity. But if you don't see that this is a trillion dollar opportunity in insurance and like – you don't understand the space. And and, and and so it's like you're just not an investor. Like in hindsight, I mean, it was annoying at the time. Yeah. But in hindsight, like that would not have been a good fit for us as an investor. And so like, again, you can question us, but you can't question the market. And then if you can't understand that market, then you're just not going to be a fit. Which is tough, right? Like, I mean, I think you, you have – there's a real nugget of wisdom in there, which is, you know, just because their money is green doesn't mean they should be the – they should be an investor in your company. And when you're trying to raise money just to make it happen, yeah. y y the wisdom of that is harder to see, right? Yeah. Because you just need, you know, you need the money. So finding the right investors that match that is is definitely part of it. And, you know, and then managing your own expectations when you're yeah. getting rejected yeah. is painful. I, I saw this video one time. I thought it was really clear on what it's to raise money. It was two penguins and then one penguin hits the other penguin in the back of the head and it falls in the ice cold water on a loop. So he's just getting beat in the back of the head. I mean, that's kind of it. Until all of a sudden, like, somebody goes, yes, and you're like, oh, wait, what? Oh, wait, what? You know? <laughs> Hold on a second. I, I wasn't expecting that answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the, and the yes call, right? I mean, we've had two, yeah, right? we've had two, like, institutional rounds of funding. Like, that yes call is amazing. Like, it's like, because you're just beating your head, and you're like, I don't know. And you walk out, I mean, you're like, I think they liked us, maybe. And then they call back and like, hey, we want to move over this. Like, we want to dive into due diligence. We want to present a term sheet. Whatever that kind of, you know, next yes is. And it's like... 
Yeah, it's an unbelievable feeling. And I do want to go back. I really appreciate what you said about, you know, working with your family. I mean, this is, you know, I look at a startup as a, as a child, right? Yeah. Like, and it requires as much. I mean, you're, it's probably in more ways, you know, it's a marriage and a child and all of these things into to really how that affects families is complicated. So the yeah. fact that you were very proactive with your wife and got her on board, I mean, all of those things, I think is very sage wisdom. I mean, I think part of my personal hesitation for maybe starting another startup right yeah. now is just where we're at in life with oh, kids yeah. and all that. I just know yeah. what it takes. Yeah. No, it's, it's not It's not for everyone. It's not for every time, right? Like, I mean, you've, you've got to have things lined up. And I would say it's harder. I mean, because we, we had, so we had the, so we got nine-year-old twins and then we have a two-year-old. So we've had a kid since the startup. And I, I would say like the, the two-year-old's easier than a startup, right? Like it's way easier to raise a two-year-old than it is build a startup. I think it's critical, right? Because it, it is going to be a drag on you emotionally. Like, there's going to be days where, you know, you've just, you're on edge. And I mean, there's days where, you know, like, well, I hope this hasn't happened too often, but like, I can feel myself like being short with the kids. And it's like, it's not their fault. Sure. Like the fact that their iPad is on the frizz is like, and you know, the fact that they're annoyed about it, like fine. And like the fact that it's annoying me is like, that doesn't actually annoy me, right? Like what actually annoyed me happened three hours earlier in the day. And I need to like somehow figure out how to disconnect from that because yeah. they don't know that. And it's, they shouldn't know that, right? Like that that's yeah. my job to absorb that. And so well, it's, it speaks highly of your ability to be reflective and be a good parent. And no, I mean, look, it's just compartmentalizes my like uh, just coping mechanism. There are, there are a few better strategies. We'll talk about that. But yeah, no, it's obviously this is why I'm a huge fan of entrepreneurial sport. I always look at entrepreneurship as a team sport, even yeah. though I'm you know as a CEO, it's it's pretty lonely, right? I mean, you can you know maybe you can talk to your co-founder, yeah, but a lot of stuff you can't necessarily talk to your spouse about. Maybe you can, yeah. but you can't talk to your employees about it. And this is why I've always been a big fan of things like entrepreneurs organization yeah. or other groups where. You know, you have other people that are going through that that you can, you know, let off some steam or talk about things. Well, or, talking to other founders, I mean, there's – and obviously I have my co-founder, which is amazing. Like, I don't know how people do it on their own, honestly. Like, having a co-founder and, and Matt being, you know, one of my best friends since fifth grade has been huge. And I don't know. I think we're still friends. <laughs> it, it is, I mean, not, it's not a – you know, my brother and I got strained for a long time after Priya. I mean, there's definitely yeah, – I mean, there's times we disagree and, you know, we – I mean, this last year was a little bit weird, but like generally we still get together and do non-talage related things, right? And so I think that's important to, you know, so, and we'll every now and then, it's, like I said, it's been a while at this point, but for a while we're doing it re fairly regularly where we go to dinner and like, we can't talk about talage. Like just talk about kids, talk about old high school friends, talk about, talk about anything. It doesn't matter. Just don't talk about talage. And so I think that's important. And I mean, my wife is, like I said, she, she's unbelievable and she's heard every strategy of talage, good, bad, or indifferent. And half of them, she tells me they're bad and she, she's a lot of fun and like, she'll, <laughs> I remember we we posted something on social media the other day. It was something like I mean, it was it was a nerdy comment. I'll, I'll give her credit, but it was like you know, like like ever wonder like where how your insurance API is. And she calls, she literally calls me. Like we posted this on Facebook, right? Like, and I don't think I even thought about it. But she calls me. And she's like, "Hey, dumbass! Like, no one's ever wondered where their insurance <laughs> API is." Coming. I was like. Well, then she's definitely playing out her role as keeping your ego in check. This is this is the same role my wife. Uh, they must go to school for it. And like, behind, I but don't I know will say, like, she's she's unbelievable on the flip side. Where like, I'm having an off day. Like, she's the first one to be like, "You got this. Like, we we got this. We can figure this out." That's and great. I think, I mean, she's bought in. And I had a for a long time, I had a, a depth chart uh, in the. So I've been working from my garage during quarantine, yeah. and so like, because it was the only place in the house you couldn't hear the kids, and so set up in the garage, and it, like it was pretty comfortable. Like it was a big garage. It's not that. Like, I had this whiteboard, and I had like a depth chart on there. And she came in and she put herself like over me on the depth chart and over Matt and myself and was just like, she's like, I'm running this. And I was like, okay. <laughs> the fact that you believe that, and she probably is actually, but like you need that kind of buy-in from your family. Oh, totally. No, it's, it, that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, I, one of my, you know, deep 
personal missions is to help entrepreneurs, you know, be successful, but then also be successful in life and yeah. find this balance. Because, you know, I've seen the negative side of this. I can see how these things consume people and and end up in, you know, divorce or worse. And so I just, it's just one of those things where, I, you know, I just have a deep passion for supporting entrepreneurs at all levels. That's so. important. I mean, because, I mean, we've tried to work college and like, I don't know, I, I, it's worked so far. I don't know if this is the long-term answer, but like this whole like work-life balancing, like it's two separate things. Like, I don't really believe that. Like it's one, it's one thing. Like your yeah. work is your life and your life totally. is your work and it is your family, right? It's all at the same time. And so kind of mixing it all together, I think is valuable. And like one of the, my boys, like one of their favorite things to do is come down in the office like on a Saturday and they just putz around and they steal all the post-its and they write on the whiteboards. <laughs> and like, it's like the most fun. We, we had a parent conference like, before the school year ended and Jake, one of the twins, like literally wrote like, what do you want to be when you grow up? He's like, I, he's like, I want to, he's like, I'm going to take over for my dad as CEO of Talich. And it's wow. like, like when he wrote that, that's like cool. it was just awesome, right? Like it was like a little kid and his, you know, third grade handwriting, but it was like, like, that's cool. Like, oh, that's it, really cool. Yeah. And that's how you, you know, teach the next generation of entrepreneurs. They watch what yeah. you do. I he's mean, also told me he's going to fire me. But <laughs> so that's less cool. Yeah. No, I, I, I think my kids were going to fire me for not buying them Robux or something. <laughs> yeah. Robux. That thing. That's a whole other thing. Uh, but, that's awesome. Well, Adam, thank you so much. I just really appreciate your, you know, your candor, you know, all the hard work you've done. I know you guys have just had your head down doing great work for many years. You're, yeah. you're truly one of like the original OG Reno startups. And I just wish you much success in the coming uh, for year. Sure. And the work you guys are doing too. I mean, I can't tell you how helpful it is that, I mean, if not, I know you guys are doing way more than this, but if nothing else, like the image work you're doing on Reno, when we go to the Bay Area and people don't believe that we live in a casino and yeah. that there's a beautiful lake and mountains and real, you know, communities around us, like it's unbelievable. Like the, what you guys are doing there and just the image work alone is, has been fantastic. So I appreciate it. Well, we did take a Lieutenant Dangle costume to TechCrunch. <laughs> so I don't know if that helped, but you know, <laughs> We're having fun with it. You got to own it. You got you to own it. You got you to take it. It's all, it's all got to be fun. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, have a great one. And thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Doug.